You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Britain gives Russia an ultimatum. Cyber conflict between the two countries is widely expected. Palo Alto's Unit 42 finds Henbox Android spyware. NCC Labs describes Chinese backdoors used against UK government and industry targets. President Trump replaces Secretary of State Tillerson with DCI Pompeo. Gina Haspel is tapped as the next DCI. And a wrap-up of Sinet Itsef. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 13, 2018. UK Prime Minister May has demanded an explanation from Russia by midnight tonight of the March 4th attempted assassination by nerve agent of former GRU officer Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia. Russia will not comply. Foreign Minister Lavrov dismissed any notion of Russia complicity as nonsense. Essentially, no one believes this. The poison was an unusual nerve agent, Novichok, developed by the Soviet Union during the Cold War's endgame. No other country is known to have stocks of Novichok. The British view, which Prime Minister May expressed directly when she had the Russian ambassador summoned to the Foreign Office for an explanation, poses Russia with a dilemma. Either Russia lost control of the nerve agent, or Russia committed a direct action in Salisbury, England. Neither horn of the dilemma is a palatable one for Russia to grasp, and it seems unlikely that there's any face-saving way of slipping between the dilemma's horns. The Prime Minister said, quote, This attempted murder using a weapons-grade nerve agent in a British town was not just a crime against the Skripals. It was an indiscriminate and reckless act against the United Kingdom, putting the lives of innocent civilians at risk, and we will not tolerate such a brazen attempt to murder innocent civilians on our soil. End quote. 21 people, including the Skripals, required medical treatment after the attack. Hundreds of others were offered chemical decontamination, so this assassination attempt was more indiscriminate than most. Russia is not in a repentant mood. Speaking for the Russian Foreign Ministry, Maria Zakharova dismissed the Prime Minister's talk as so much theater. As reported by CNN, Zakharova said, quote, This is a circus show in the British Parliament. The conclusion is obvious. This is another information and political campaign based on provocation. Before composing new fairy tales, let someone in the kingdom tell you about how the previous ones about Litvinenko, Berezovsky, Parapilchny, and many others ended. The last three named are other Russians who were murdered in the UK. They are generally thought to have been assassinated by Russian security services for spying on behalf of Western governments. Skripal himself had been convicted in Russia of spying for MI6. He was released to live in the UK as the result of a US-brokered spy swap. Prime Minister May's language has been unusually direct. 
quote, should there be no credible response, we will conclude that this action amounts to an unlawful use of force by the Russian state against the United Kingdom, end quote. The UK has darkly promised some form of retaliation. Sanctions, expulsions, and so forth would be the norm, but they may have more in mind. Home Secretary Rudd said the retaliation may be covert or clandestine, which, taken with last week's cabinet statement on cyber defense, is being read as hinting at retaliation with some form of cyber attack. That, in turn, is expected to summon further Russian retaliation. The U.S. has deplored the attack and says it stands firmly with its ally. Have you considered that testing your network for vulnerabilities may draw undue attention to it? Tom Batters is from Telos, and he joins us to make the case that obfuscation and the use of cloud infrastructure can make it harder for adversaries to make sense of what you're up to. Cyber threat intelligence professionals are attempting to do their research and investigation and thwart attacks using standard or their own you know, basic networks uh, from inside out. And many times uh, what happens is cyber criminals are just sitting out there listening to see who's doing what to find vulnerabilities for attack. So new tools are required uh, to really do this job well and separate those activities from uh, corporate or enterprise networks through the use of uh, cloud-based, obfuscated, networks that are separate from the enterprise networks. So, you know, basically do your work to identify threats on a separate network than your own. So take take us through the details of that. How how can you uh, how can you test your network using a separate network? So really when you test your network, you want to do that from the outside in, right? You want to find out who's looking at your network and who can get into your network. So uh, using a, a, an obfuscated or managed attribution network that will hide your identity, hide your location, and encrypt all of your data so that no one can attribute your activities to you. So it sounds to me like uh, with this security comes uh, a certain level of increased complexity. How do you balance that complexity against the potential for the increased security? So from from the user's perspective, it's it's fairly simple. From the user's perspective, you know, they get a um, uh, say, for example, a VPN profile that uh, when they're connected to that, it automatically connects them to this. Uh, this infrastructure. So from a user's perspective, it's not complex at all. From uh, a network development perspective, it's just a matter of setting up nodes in in a virtualized environment. Go to AWS, go to Azure, go to any number of different cloud providers, buy a VPS for 30 to 50 to 60 bucks a month, buy a number of them, tie them together with this software and create a network. There is quite a bit of complexity in setting up the network, knowing how to configure it, and ensuring that the end user's device that's being used is configured such that there is no digital exhaust 
that is not planned uh, coming from that device into the network. I see. That's 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 a lot of the problem. Is you know that when, once you set up your browser to access the internet to do your thread and tell or do your any kind of you know business communications using the internet, typically uh, there are digital digital exhaust, digital breadcrumbs that are put out from your device, and that's what causes many of the uh, the the issues, of course, for cyber criminals accessing your network. So ensuring that uh, the attack surface is eliminated is key to the, um, the capabilities of these obfuscated networks. That's Tom Batters from Telos. Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 this morning published a report on Henbox, a family of Android malware that represents itself as legitimate apps available on third-party app stores. Henbox is spyware, an information stealer that seems designed to target China's Muslim minority. Unit 42 doesn't offer attribution, but the target set strongly suggests a Chinese government domestic intelligence operation. NCC Group reports that a Chinese threat actor, APT-15, also known as Mirage, Vixen Panda, or Playful Dragon, has been actively prospecting British government agencies and defense contractors through a series of back doors. The U.S. government has, for reasons of national security, stopped Broadcom's attempted hostile takeover of Qualcomm. The AP reports this morning that U.S. President Trump has dismissed Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. Director of Central Intelligence Mike Pompeo is said to be his replacement. President Trump tweeted a summary of the decision, quote, Mike Pompeo, director of the CIA, will become our new Secretary of State. He will do a fantastic job. Thank you to Rex Tillerson for his service. Gina Haspel will become the new director of the CIA, the first woman so chosen. Congratulations to all, end quote. In other statements, President Trump thanked Secretary Tillerson for his service, expressed appreciation for his work, but also indicated that he and Tillerson hadn't really been thinking along the same lines for some time. Gina Haspel, the new prospective director of Central Intelligence, is a career intelligence officer who joined the agency in 1985. She became the CIA's deputy director last February. She had previously served under former DCI John Brennan as active deputy director of the National Clandestine Service. We wrap up our coverage of Sinet's annual ITSEF conference today. Among the many interesting takeaways from the conference were the importance of resilience, clarity about one's own enterprise, the relative likelihood of falling victim to a mundane threat, and the shifting regulatory landscape. Speakers emphasized that most of the damage done by attackers was accomplished not through rare, exotic, and sophisticated attacks using never-before-seen zero days, but through social engineering, credential stuffing, and attacks on unpatched systems using known exploits. Cyber hygiene was therefore much recommended to all. The threats are less exotic, more familiar, and in many ways more tractable than hype would tend to make them out to be. And CISOs urged companies to adopt a realistic view of the direction in which regulation will push them. Businesses should expect to be held liable for much of what goes on in their customers' endpoints. Indeed, data itself may be well on the way to becoming the new endpoint. The EU's GDPR and the U.S. Federal Trade Commission are the two major engines driving this shift. Sally May CISO Jerry Archer was particularly clear on this point. This represents a new reality, and there's little point in kicking against it. Instead, come to grips with how to handle it.
Finally, ITSEF speakers stress that incident response planning and exercises that teach and test those plans are essential to achieving resilience, which they defined as the ability to fight through an attack and continue to do business. If that sounds military, it is. A number of industry experts thought resilience was an area where the private sector could learn much to its profit from soldiers. So find some old or even young soldiers, ask them about commander's intent, mission analysis, and the right way to conduct after-action reviews, and you'll be better off for it. Which army doesn't matter much. Our military desk says it's seen first-hand good work in these disciplines from U.S., French, British, German, Israeli, South Korean, and Canadian forces, at least. You'll find details of the conference at thecyberwire.com. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Professor Awais Rashid. He's a professor of cybersecurity at the University of Bristol. Uh, welcome back. Um, we wanted to touch today on cyber physical systems. You say this is a new frontier for security. Fill us in here. What are we talking about? We, we use uh, devices all the time. We have uh, uh, smart watches, smart thermostats. We are using smart locks. We are uh, uh, talking about the Internet of Things rev- revolution. And all these uh, devices... Uh, are effectively many many computers which control the environment and that's really what a cyber physical system is 
And ultimately, what we are looking at is potentially an industry estimates are that in the next few years, we may have up to 50 billion connected devices around the world. How do we actually secure this really uh, highly connected set of mini computers all over the world is actually uh, very, very complicated. We, we've already looked at uh, the, the scenario of the Mirai botnet, where a number of these connected devices were actually repurposed to uh, launch a very large-scale denial-of-service attack. And ultimately, these devices interconnect with the uh, other connected environment that we have, for example, the um, uh, workplaces, our our homes and so on in intricate ways and often implicitly and users often do not fully understand what kind of complex interconnection they're going on and that really is the next challenge for security is so how do you actually secure this highly connected set of uh, lots and lots of small devices do you think we're looking at, at a situation where there needs to be some sort of for example international standards for a minimum uh, standard of security for these sorts of things i think the the problem is more complex uh, in the sense that standards often uh, standards are a very good thing. They, they provide a baseline, but they uh, often lag behind the technological developments, and they also often have to cater for the lowest common denominator. Uh, I think the key thing here is that when we are designing these devices, we need to think about what are the security implications of, of these devices. Uh, at the moment, many a times security is, is uh, a very late consideration or not a consideration at all. People are concerned about connectivity of these devices, ease of connectivity. They're also concerned about battery life and hence energy consumption uh, and, and things like that. So often security takes a back seat and we need to really think about security being a core feature of, of the devices because uh, by only, only by doing that, we can actually address these kind of issues. Similarly, we also have to think about that these devices are not used by security experts. They, they are used by citizens around the world who actually deploy them in their homes. How easy or difficult are we making it for them to actually configure the security settings on these devices? What, how, what do they understand? How are we informing them? What kind of communication is the, devices and is the device undertaking? For example, you buy your smart TV. Do you know uh, with what or with whom the smart TV is communicating? Can you easily change those settings? And the answer at the moment is unfortunately not, because it's not very easy for users to understand what happens and what are the security implications of the various um, communications that these devices do. But also, it's not really very easy to update those settings or even understand those settings. So perhaps even having a security be a feature that uh, that they brag about before you buy it in, in this world where uh, you know people browse through Amazon and look for the cheapest device, uh, perhaps security is something that uh, manufacturers should uh, should crow about as a differentiator. Yes, and and I think we we need to change that mindset that security has to become a differentiator, but it has to go hand in hand with cost. Uh, there are studies that show that if you have a more more secure uh, device, for instance, but uh, you know there is a cheaper device, then consumers may actually opt for a, ch a cheaper device, and and so there is always an economic factor to these uh, to these things. So uh, unless and until we can bring the cost of more secure devices down, we will continue to face these kind of problems. And the flip side of that is that we also need to actually uh, have um, better means to uh, encourage developers in integrating security more, co more, more concretely into, into the software and the hardware that underpins these devices. Professor Awais Rashid, thanks for joining us.
And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.